Hello and welcome back to the Quacktop Pod. I am Charlie, joined by Reed, as always. Got a nice little spring game preview coming up for you guys this episode. But first of all, uh, Reed, are you a full-on New Orleans Pelicans fan now? Yeah, I'm indoctrinated for sure. I mm-hmm. gotta support CJ, and they got a fun core in general. Uh, so it's it's been exciting for sure. I think they have like I didn't really realize I went to a Pelicans game about a month ago with my friend and I was like looking up in the Raptors I'm like so uh do y'all have any like retired jerseys do you have like a (laughs) you know any type of banner a divisional banner something and he's like really like we have no history (laughs) um obviously there's the weird mix up with like the Charlotte Hornets where I guess they took some of that stuff I for I don't know exactly how it worked out but I think a lot of people are getting more into the Pelicans here just because they're good for the first time like ever outside Mm -hmm. of that little stretch they had with CP3 but even that I don't know this feels like there's a brighter future maybe so yeah I'm I'm on board yeah man I was watching that play-in game against the Clippers just obviously rooting against them because the Blazers needed their draft pick yeah um so you know I I guess if a team single-handedly destroys your entire off-season plans and then has a crazy like game one against the number one seed that's good enough reason for me to root for him and cj of course i mean it's always fun watching him play it's crazy they're doing all that without zion too um but yeah, yeah. exactly yeah man. um yeah yeah anything else going on for you is there any other playoff teams you've adopted no honestly i've wa- well i mean i'm always a hawks fan so i was watching that that game the other day or both of those games but unfortunately it doesn't look like they're doing gonna do too well in this series so I don't know. Maybe I'll just adopt the Pelicans or wait till later rounds to see who I like. But I don't know. I've been busy though. You know, been <laughs> in Mexico. Drake. Yeah, right. Our, yeah, our mutual friend Drake and I had a lot of old man type chess games in uh, Puerto Vallarta, whether it was on the beach or the balcony, and like it was great. It was a lot of fun. It, I might, it I doesn't a lot sound of, too bad. Yeah, dude, I've got sunburned to shit though. <laughs> Anyways, strong start to this episode, but uh, I think you want to hit on something more recent that's more recently newsworthy uh, that pertains to the spring game, which of course is coming up this Saturday. In case you're unfamiliar for whatever reason, talk about talk to us about Kyler Casper. Why is this such an important commitment, and who is this guy? Yeah, I think it's pretty funny because I think it was the end of last episode. You asked me like anything left in 2022 and I was like no man no way that this is it you know it doesn't go much later than this and a week later was proven wrong by a you know by someone who technically was in the 2023 class but reclassified um you know if you told me Kyler Casper would be committing uh in the next two weeks I wouldn't have been surprised at that point but to have it be a 2022 commitment was definitely surprising uh, and a really positive thing for Oregon overall. Um, obviously, this guy, we've talked about it, you know, mentioned him for months, but now can go a little more in depth now that he's in the fold for Oregon. Um, he's a wide receiver. He's a guy who, dating back to right when the staff took over, he was an immediate priority, especially for Kenny Dillingham being in Arizona. Um, it was just a receiver that the staff was really high on and they targeted um, and there wasn't necessarily much groundwork in place at all in this recruitment from the past staff 
I think it would be very unlikely to see him coming to Oregon. Uh, you know, it, it, if Cristobal was still here and the trajectory that that was going and, and how that offense had utilized wide receivers. Um, so this is an impressive win, right? Have a guy high on your board and you get him and you get him in early in spring, only a few months after this staff has been assembled. Uh, I mean, the big note on Casper is his dad is an NFL wide receiver or was an NFL wide receiver. Uh, and that's big for a few reasons. I think when you talk about him reclassifying to 2022, it helps because he's going to be a lot more immediately ready than some other guys would be in terms of his technical development. I mean, size-wise, he's already 6'5", uh, 195, and you know we'll probably put a little more muscle on, but he's got the length at least right now to compete at a Division One level. And then technically, in terms of his understanding of the route tree and you know all those kind of polish that he's gotten since he was a kid, um, he has that because you know he grew up in a household with a, another wide receiver mm -hmm. uh, who played at a really high level. And it was pretty interesting having his dad uh, chime in on Twitter Spaces the other night, did a little kind of informal, you know, talking with fans and and talking about how. Uh, I think QB11 came on there and asked some really good questions about, you know, when did he start teaching Kyler the skills of being a receiver? And his dad said really early. And, you know, one of the first things he talked about selling him on was, was the route tree and, you know, make every route look like a go route, turn the DB's hips. And then from there you run everything else. And he just talked about like building, setting those building blocks in motion really early. And it definitely shows in his film. Um, even from my point of view, but, you know, having a guy like QB11 reinforce how polished he looks, certainly, you know, I trust his word as, as much as anyone in this fan base. Um, so I think it helps in a lot of ways, right? I mean, we talked about the wide receiver room being a little thin after Cristobal's departure and with Devin Williams going to the draft and Johnny Johnson and Jalen Red leaving. Um, so there was a sense that maybe some more bodies were needed in the receiver room, and I think this makes a lot of sense. It kind of really eases the pain in my mind of, of losing out on Tedaroa McMillan, who was kind of mm -hmm. supposed to be this instant impact if we needed him 2022 receiver for next year. And now, you know, maybe Casper isn't quite that level, especially given he's a year younger, but because he's so developed technically and he's also a big guy, it's a great situation where if you have some injuries and you need a guy to step up, you're happy to have Casper play. And he's a guy that you have a lot of long-term ambitions for in the program and fits into the long-term plan. So that development is really worth it. But at the same time, it's not the conflict that happens where you bring in a transfer receiver. Um, and, you know, when they come in, they usually have a certain level of expectation to get targets immediately and you can handle that you know with chase coda and that makes sense but i think having another one of those guys when you already have a lot of other receiver room receiver talent in that room that you're trying to get more targets to uh would be a little bit tough and so i think this works well because it's kind of perfect that if you need to you know fit him in more you can but i think that there's an understanding that um you know he's going to take a back role in his first year especially being a year younger uh, and he's going to be okay with developing for a year if other guys step up too. Uh, and you have his full eligibility still to kind of, you know, make uh, profit on that investment of this year of development in there. 
Uh, and then the other thing that I think is important to just note on him being, you know, from an NFL family and his dad is, is I think that speaks a lot to the recruiting ability of the staff, because I think it takes another level to get that sign off from a NFL guy. Mm -hmm. um, so if you're Junior Adams and Kenny Dillingham, you know, you can't you can't just BS your way through a conversation with someone who's played in the NFL. Uh, yeah. And sometimes I think you see that happen in recruitment, to be honest, where, <laughs> you know, some some kids it's uh, and recruits is interesting, don't really watch as much college football as you might think uh, and maybe aren't as aware of, you know, what's going on with this offense or is this really an offense that's going to set me up? Does this receiver coach really know what he's talking about? Or, you know, is he just good at the salesman part of it? And you're probably not going to be able to do that as well against someone who's played at a really high level. And so him giving the sign off on his kid to come to Oregon, uh, you know, is a huge boost, boost of confidence for uh, Dillingham and, and Junior Adams especially, I think. Yeah, definitely. I think about it this way because, as you know, I'm more of a spreadsheet roster numbers type person when it comes to recruiting um this is a guy who if we're being honest probably won't see a lot of the field this season as you said um but these are the type of guys who you absolutely love to have on the fringes of your roster especially when they're young um obviously it helps with development because it means better guys are in front of them um but it also just means that if for whatever reason you really need to start relying on the lower end of your roster you can. I mean, some, what did you say? 6'5", 195? Yeah. That's <laughs> there's not a lot of teams in the Pac-12 that can defend that um, as long as he can catch the ball. So, yeah, I, I'm with you. I'm super excited about this recruitment. I, didn't, I don't really know, maybe you do, if he was on the radar for flipping his uh, – or not flipping, but reclassifying into 2022. But I think that's a great part of it as well. I mean – Sure, it means he could leave a year earlier, but um, I never see a problem with getting a guy in the building at a younger age, especially if he's rated this highly and has those physical attributes already, then yeah, get him in the Mashovsky Center, get him in the HDC, like get him into the, we don't, we don't need him playing another year of high school football if he's ready to play right now, so. Yeah, right, exactly. I think we didn't, I didn't mention it, but you know, for those who maybe don't know, for, for the on three consensus, he's the 140th best player in the country in the 2022 cycle after moving over. So, I mean, anytime you get a top 150 guy, that's someone who's in, instant impact type of guy, potentially at a lot of schools. And Oregon doesn't need him to fill that role necessarily. But it's worth saying, like, you know, if, if this guy, I mean, if you flip him and Tedroa McMillan and he's, you know, walking into a situation at Arizona – like they probably would rely on him pretty quickly in his career. Uh, and Oregon doesn't have to do that, but they can if they need to. Uh, in terms of flipping his you know, reclassification, it wasn't on my radar, but it makes a lot of sense after it happened because he was a guy who was kind of pushing to get the um, recruiting process kind of done with. You know, Some people like to extend it and look at their options for a long, long time. Other people kind of get tired of it and want to lock in. Uh, and I think just with his technical development and everything, it seems like it makes a lot of sense um, for him. You know, for some guys it doesn't, but for him it seemed like it did. Um, so it's really a win-win there. Uh, you know, additionally, I mentioned the spaces thing and, and 
his dad was on there, but Kyler also joined in for a second. And in terms of, you know, other dominoes to follow, it was interesting. Someone asked, you know, okay, now you're in the class. What does this mean? Are you going to start peer recruiting and stuff? Uh, and Kyler, the three guys he mentioned were Dickey, Rashiada, and Proctor. I mean, those are your wide receiver, your QB, and another tackle. Um, all really highly rated guys. I think all those guys are top 50 or on the fringe of top 50, depending which recruiting service you're going to look at. Um, but to have him mention those three by name, kind of, you know, it, it helps give insight into like, okay, those are legitimate targets who there's some connection there. And, and Oregon would, you think, be at least in, in a decent position for. Uh, and of course, everything else we've heard kind of directly from those guys indicates the same thing. So mm -hmm. exciting stuff in terms of recruiting, just even more momentum uh, after the big Connerly uh, commitment and signing a week ago. Definitely. And the last thing I'll say on Casper is uh, Justin Hopkins provided an update in the juice, just detailing his recruitment, kind of some backstory to it. You touched on a lot of it, but um, something he said that was really interesting is that prior to Kenny Dillingham's arrival is that Casper had pretty much zero interest in Oregon at all. Um, and that if Cristobal had stuck around, it, they probably wouldn't have had a guy like Casper. So that's, that was kind of interesting to me. And also just the fact that we won this recruitment over Tennessee, which obviously is going to be an off-field battle, I think we see again, and that we obviously have already seen in the past this cycle, or I guess yeah. not this cycle, but in recent weeks. Yeah, I think that was that was pretty interesting, actually, too. Another thing about it that was just kind of, um, you know, it doesn't really have an impact on the Oregon program going forward, but was just kind of funny and uh, kind of came out of nowhere. I mean, people thought that he might be making a decision soon, but, you know, it was kind of one of those tweets out, decision dates made, and uh, certainly some Oregon fans I mes messaged with quickly and stuff in the immediate aftermath of, of him announcing that a decision was coming were a bit hesitant and like, oh, did you, did uh, Tennessee, sorry, did Tennessee, you know, drop another bag, so to speak? And are they going to steal this, you know, wide receiver recruit to go with Nico, the quarterback that, that Oregon fe fans feel like Tennessee already kind of took? Um, and so there was some worry about that immediately and, and not kind, I think some people kind of had to do some checking in and see, okay, how confident, you know, how does Oregon feel about this? How does Tennessee feel about this? And then day later or something, people started to get the idea or, or even faster than that, that, okay, this seems like it's going Oregon's way. Um, after there was a little bit of hesitancy immediately cause he was coming off a trip from Tennessee. So that was exciting. Uh, and yeah, just another big win for the staff, right? Mm -hmm, definitely. Uh, one win, I don't know if it's a big win that the Ducks will definitely be getting is in the spring game. Uh, and as I teased already, and I'll tease it once more right here, we'll talk about that in a little bit. But we had kind of a side segment we want to throw in here just before that, talking about this roster as a whole. We kind of threw this into our google doc like a couple minutes before we started recording because we were both just talking about it um it's something that's been overlooked kind of in the discussion of the Oregon program and understandably so just because of how much talent has departed and obviously the entire staff changing over is always a bigger story than pretty much anything else in your program but 
we want to make a point that this roster is extremely talented. Uh, something I had just noticed from being around practices that I've been covering with Jared Denny of Scoop Duck. Um, you know, a lot of times we don't necessarily get to be up close to these guys, but when it's raining outside and when we can go in the uh, uh, Mashovsky Center when they do indoor practices, we get a little closer to these guys. And, like, some of them, when they're in lines, you're, like, literally standing right next to them. People don't realize how freaking huge these people are. Um, a couple guys in particular, like pretty much the entire linebacking room, but I think I've mentioned this before. Anthony Jones, like sometimes when I look at this guy, I still like part of my mind still thinks it's like Kayvon wearing number five just because he's actually <laughs> that big. Um, I mean, obviously it's it's not, and I'm not genuinely thinking that, but you know what I'm saying. Also, Jabril McNeil, like a couple guys who haven't even touched the field yet for the Ducks, but are just absolutely massive. Um, I don't know. That that always just sticks in my mind when I think about this team in a general sense. And obviously there are other guys too, per, the entire roster really. It's just bigger than I expect. But Reed, you had a tweet about this recently, and I'll, I'll let you explain that. But what are just kind of your thoughts on the talent that this team already has? Yeah, I mean, for me, I'm I'm jealous hearing you talk about, you know, getting to go in the Mashovsky Center, something that I obviously don't get to do remotely. But for me, it's been just going through and watching some of the player interviews on um, on YouTube and just kind of like realizing, oh, wow, I, I'm seeing a lot of these names that, you know, I obviously knew in my head were in the program and, and next in line to step up. But to watch the interviews and see like, oh, wow, Dante Thornton and Troy Franklin and Seven McGee are talking, and that's actually, you know, projecting as maybe the starting wide receiver core, or at least the ones and twos who are all going to play a big role. Um, and just kind of feeling like that across the board, guys like Triquez Bridges, who came in as a blue chip, and just thinking like, you know, that is a little different than where we were a few years ago with you know, I mean, a guy like Nick Pickett um, or Brady Breeze are, you know, really good players, but physically the length of Triquez Bridges and the talent there is, you know, I think a step above. Um, and that's why we got so excited about all of those classes that Cristobal was bringing in. Um, and I think, you know, my the gist of my tweet, I said, you know, a common mistake from college football fans is, is I think a lot of people, especially who are just getting into recruiting now, and this is obviously common in the Oregon fan base because Chris Ball was the one who kind of brought us into it and made us believe that recruiting mattered. Um, and so a lot of us are a little new to it, I feel like, in this fan base in particular. Uh, and I think that a common trend is people see the big you know, recruiting ranking, top 10 or whatever it is, and they expect that to happen, you know, have an immediate impact in year one on how this this team is going to work. And they expect those guys to contribute so quickly because, you know, for good reason, we make a big deal about it and people talk about it so much on Twitter. Um, but I think that in my mind, you know, a big mistake is not only people expect the immediate impact, but they also lose patience really quickly. And I think that's what we saw over the last two years, especially was people losing patience with, you know, we were sold on all this talent. We recruited top 10. Why aren't we playing at a top 10 level right now always? 
Uh, and, you know, it was fair to a certain degree. I'm certainly not saying that there weren't missed opportunities in development over the past two years or wins that were left on the table because, yeah, I mean, regardless, the roster was better than Oregon State and Cal in 2020. Uh, and, you know, the Stanford game shouldn't have been given away and the Utah game should have been a lot closer um, or wins potentially, you know, depending how you look at it. But overall, I think like, I preached it a lot during the struggles of last season was let's have some patience about, you know, when these results are going to take over. And especially in the offensive skill groups, you know, these realize that, yeah, we're, we're really excited about these young guys, but look, the guys who we were giving carries to and targets to those weren't even the recruits that were making up the top 10 classes. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and, and the guys I mean, who were throwing the ball by the way. Right. Yes. And the guys who are throwing at the ball, which is of course important in this sport. <laughs> um, but I really think that people are going to be surprised by how different this Oregon roster looks this year and next year. I think that, you know, it might not show because when you look at, you know, the two, four, seven team talent calculator, Oregon was in a really good spot about uh, with that going into last year too. And people kind of don't realize that those classes, the way that they weight those, they don't provide any higher weight for upperclassmen. So yeah, the composite score was higher, but the talent was mainly younger guys and younger guys who'd been robbed of an off season and a full season because of COVID um, and the development that, you know, deficiencies that came with that. And so that's, you know, I mean, in the past, I think it probably sounded like making excuses, but now I think it's time to be excited and to have a higher standard for this team too, because a lot of those most talented players are stepping into their roles. And I just think that people in this conference don't quite realize that, you know, they think, okay, well, the offense wasn't good. It was conservative last year. Oh, and they lose Travis Dye, who was this big player who was super productive. Um, and yeah, Travis Dye was productive, but a lot of Oregon fans, and I think the general excitement in the building would be like, okay, we, we haven't had a Troy Franklin as a feature receiver um, or a Dante Thornton. Like those are talented receivers that, you know, a receiving core Oregon hasn't had, or I don't think this conference has seen from a talent level, mm -hmm. probably since, you know, the Amon Ross, St. Brown, Drake London, Michael Pittman receiving class at USC. And if you're, you know, if you discount USC, it's been a long time since any team in this conference has pre has presented that much talent at receiver, I think. Um, so that's just to say I'm super excited and encouraged by the development for Oregon of these young, talented guys. And I think that you're going to see the impacts of just a, a lot of talent that has been amassed over these past four recruiting cycles. I mean, literally the four top recruiting cycles in this conference are all, you know, are Oregon over the last four years. Mm -hmm. So, and I mean, I, I also, I also like to think yeah. about how that relates to last season as a whole. Obviously, yes, you win at Ohio state. That makes you an instant, like top five, top three, pretty much team in everybody's mind instantly. And it has to be. Now, I mean, I don't want to dig into that game too much and, like, pick around 
what I think happened and didn't happen, and I don't want to analyze every game of the entire last season. But what I can say is that, generally speaking, I don't think that team was super well coached, um, especially maybe on the defensive side of the ball. And, I mean, the injuries that that team suffered were pretty terrible, you know. We Anyone who listened to us last year knows this, and pretty much anyone knows anyways. Like, there are a lot of excuses we can throw in, throw out there about that team. But I think it's safe to say that the talent carried us pretty damn far last year, even when we were banged up, even when... I mean, shoot, we... we <laughs> I can't reiterate this enough. We started a walk-on inside linebacker in the horseshoe and won the game. <laughs> like, yeah. we can't lose sight of that. We started, you know, Anthony Brown won a game in the horseshoe for us. Like, <laughs> my point being that, yes, this team has talent, but if you can focus that to actually, you know, have these guys perform at their top level, which I don't think they were doing under Cristobal, I mean, this thing can go crazy. Like, this program could go in a really, really interesting direction. Again, will Landing yeah. do that in this first season? I'm not sure. I mean, I think our our expectations are still hovered around probably nine wins for this season. Correct me if I'm wrong there. Um, but in general, like, we're not slowing down talent-wise. I mean, I know this, sure, this cycle was what? Uh, our national ranked right now, rank right now is 11th. Okay down from sixth last season and that was during a coach an entire staff changeover like i'm really not concerned about the talent side of things uh if landing can land guys like casper and like Connerly consistently and shoot even dip your toe into a guy like Jaden wayne some of these five stars we're <laughs> we're really gonna be fine like people talk about i mean the general consensus about national pac-12 discourse lately has been Oh, USC's here now, so Oregon's time is kind of done. I mean, if they beat us in the Pac-12 title, sure. Like we we don't play USC in the regular season every year at, at this rate, like rarely. So, I mean, sure, that, that those are a couple big games a year where you really have to get up for. But, I mean, it's not like the SEC where you got to do that four or five times every season. So, or if you're in the West, at least. So, right. I'm, I'm really not all that concerned about the ducks losing that kind of fringe top 10 program status right now um yeah. well well i would just say too i think that i mean if you look at the talent on this roster you know i just talked about like oregon was able to lean on and win a lot of games despite bad coaching uh, at times and a quarterback play that you know because of inconsistency put a tax on this offense mm -hmm. of at times you know 10 to 14 points and at times more than that um but i mean just in the trenches like i think names that get lost like trevin may and suava poti and mikhail afaise who are you know i think they get lost in the shuffle because they're not as flashy as you know, the wide receiver catches the pass. And sometimes you don't even realize when a play is made or when they eat up two blocks in the run game that they were even on the field if you're not paying close attention. Mm -hmm. And if you're not the type of person who goes and rewatches every snap, you can find, again, you know, with QB11 going over it and stuff. So I think, I think people lose sight of that. But I think that the talent advantage there and in line with 
how much experience there is on the offensive line is enough to really lean on people in this conference. You know, if there's a weakness about this team, right now it looks like the secondary. And yeah, the losses of Mikhail and DJ James and Verone McKinley are big ones. But on the other point of that, at least within the context of the Pac-12, you're not playing that many potent passing attacks in this conference right now. I mean, the quarterback play is far from elite, right? I mean, Caleb Williams, if you, if, if USC makes a Pac-12 title game, yeah, that, that is scary for sure. But, um, but outside of that, I mean, there's not really that many elite quarterbacks in this conference who can pick you apart that much. And that's, you know, even overplaying, I think the issue in the secondary for Oregon, which is at the end of the day, Christian Gonzalez is a potential all-conference level corner, I think, or at least in that discussion. Mm-hmm. I think Dante Manning, we've talked about, and it looks like the injury is less severe, is a guy who could take a big leap. Uh, and safety is going to be interesting. You know, I mean, in spring practice so far, a big storyline has been Brian Addison and Triquez Bridges running with the ones. Mm-hmm. And that might be surprising to some people because you say it's a converted safety and a con- or converted cornerback uh, and a converted wide receiver. But in terms of talent and length, those guys jump off the screen a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, they're both were blue chip guys. Triquez is a guy who was, is the Alabama record holder for interceptions uh, in a season in high school. And Brian Addison was a high four-star player who was always a two-way guy um, and ended up being a wide receiver for a while at Oregon. But, I mean... And we haven't even mentioned two other very competent players in Scoop David and Steve Stevens as well. Right. So I think there's there's a lot of talent there for this thing to be worked out um, and for things to come in and into place and click. Uh, and then, I mean, you know, we're going to go through these things, obviously, but we all know the story at linebacker um, with Noah Sewell and Justin Flo. If they come in, I mean, it's like not ridiculous to say that's the best linebacking core in the country or a top three one yeah. because they were the two highest rated linebackers in their class. That's not biased. That's literally what every ranking service had it as. Uh, and that's why we celebrated it at the time. And now it's, you know, time for those eggs to hatch, as it were. So mm-hmm. um, I, I just have a lot of excitement. I think that I talked to other Pac-12 fans and I think they just think, oh, well, this is the same Oregon team from last year who underachieved consistently and they have to deal with a staff overchange and all this scheme adjustment. Why do we think they're going to win more than nine games? I mean, people were like, I, I was put out, you know, you talked about, is this a nine win team? I kind of have been flirting with saying 10 wins. Um, and people have been like, some Pac-12 fans I've talked to have said, well, that's ridiculous how's this Oregon team going to win 10 games? And I'm like, well, they won 10 games last year with Anthony Brown at quarterback. And I think a lot of places on this roster are more talented than last year. Mm-hmm. Um, so we shall see what happens. But overall, I just wanted to give that kind of word of excitement. And in talking to you and hearing your thoughts from being at practice, it seemed like worth including in the in the podcast. 
Yeah, and it's not just the two names I mentioned either. I mean, I could go through the roster and, like, tell you every person <laughs> who's looked a little bigger than I expected, but just, I mean, there are pictures out there if you really want to pick through them, but, like, just watch the spring game, and you'll see what I'm talking about. Like, these guys are pretty damn big. Anyways, uh, speaking of the spring game, let's get to it. Uh, it looks like we're ditching the offense versus defense format as I understand it, and we're going back to a more traditional just yellow and green team. Um, we have names for the yellow and green team for linemen, wide receivers, and DBs. Not offensive skill position guys yet. I know some of them, I think just wide receivers have been like, on Twitter they've been releasing like videos of, oh, I'm so-and-so and I'm on this team or I'm on the green team. Like, all right, cool, that, that's great. So we don't have full rosters of everybody yet, but we can still, you know, give a pretty thorough preview here. So, um, Reed, we were talking about it might be fun for us to just kind of pick a team and uh, sort of root for it. So, I mean, do, do you have a preference of whether you want to root for green or yellow team? Maybe we could come up with some sort of wager for it as well. I'm not really sure what that would be. Oh, my God. Yeah, we're on the spot here. Um, <laughs> green or yellow. Do you, have, do you have any preference? I mean, I can go either way, but. Um, I'll go. I'll I'll go yellow. I'll go yellow. Cool. I'll I like a few yellow. I, I like a few yellow names. Yeah. Um. Yeah, but I think it's fun. I I like the green versus yellow and the competition a lot more. I mean, the offense versus defense. I get why from a perspective of like keeping your first teams together. It makes some sense to do a full offense versus defense like we saw last year, but. Ultimately, I think that kind of misunderstands the purpose of a spring game. Yes. Like for me, it's it's about having fun and doing something that you showcase to the fans and have a little competition. It's not so much the most important developmental day of the spring calendar. Um, so I think just letting it be fun uh, and having some competition to it is going to be cool. Um you know, in terms of things we're looking for, I, I mentioned, like, we're probably not going to get a ton of insight schematically, um, you know, in terms of, like, a specific play call or, or whatever. Um, mm -hmm. I think that from a personnel and formation perspective, you can see some things. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how many down linemen there are on defense. We've seen at times four through a lot of spring practice, and that's been an interesting thing. Uh in addition, on the offensive side of the ball, I mean, two things that stick out are, are, are we going to see two running backs on the field at the same time at any point? Uh, and, you know, maybe could we see a snap from taken from under center, which would be the first time in a long time we've seen that at Oregon. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I mean, overall it's about the players, right? That's what was fun about last spring game is just seeing who throws the ball well, who, you know, gets interception, who – beats the DB and gets a big catch or whatever, who breaks off a run. And those mm -hmm. are the things that are going to be most fun. Given how little film we have, uh, it will be an exciting new piece to watch and rewatch and probably blow way out of proportion uh, in respect to, you know, how much these two hours are going to matter in comparison to all of the rest of spring practice. I do want to put in a word about you mentioned – the purpose of the spring game really and yes it is to have fun if you're somebody like me who wants to sit there and nerd out and you know read your roster and see who made good plays and who made bad plays and stuff 
And shoot, maybe you're even looking for where's the first team, where's the second team, like who's in which rotation. I would be willing to bet quite a large sum of money that we won't be seeing exact first, second, third team reps in this game, especially with quarterbacks. Like they're going to mix it in just like they've been doing in practices this year or this spring so far. Um, Because like if you're a coach, right, you don't need to tip your hand as to who's on the first team or who's on the second team or whatever, because all that's going to do is sit in a kid's head all summer about like, oh, am I on the wrong team? You know, where, where do I stand in this depth yeah. chart? All that. What they want is to see how they play. It, it doesn't necessarily, like, this is spring. You're not necessarily worried about the chemistry between, like, your quarterback and your wide receivers yet on the first team or second team or whatever it may be. Like, you're more worried with about skills and developing technique and seeing literally how guys play. And so I think getting in them doing that in a mixed competition sense is actually better for that sort of development. Um, I mean, yes, obviously if, if you could have your first team be taking reps together for like as long as possible, then yeah, sure. That would be ideal. But there's a reason why we don't have those first and second teams yet is because the coaches don't know yet and that's okay. Um, yeah, sure. Maybe they got some like bulletin board somewhere in the HDC that we can't see yet with those delineations or what they think those delineations might be. But I don't think we're going to see like those hands revealed yet. Um, And that's totally okay. But I will say that doesn't mean you can't draw conclusions from it. As I just said, the point is to see how well guys perform, how, you know, crisp their technique is stuff like that. I'm sure QB 11 will be breaking down the spring game after the fact and as our listeners know, that's a must-watch anytime he releases really anything. Um, so we'll be leaning into that. But as you said, I mean, this is like a again for spreadsheet nerds like me, this is a this is a uh, figure out your positions type of game. Um, you know, how am I going to delineate like which guys in which position group, sort of things. So that's kind of nice. I know there are a lot of people like that or like me who who are concerned about those kind of things um and again just seeing who breaks out i mean the best example obviously is marcus mariota in that what was it must have been 2011 2012 spring game uh i don't know i'm getting my yeah 2012 spring game yeah. uh you know if a guy absolutely pops like say if ty thompson absolutely pops then okay it's safe to assume that he might be like have an inside track to QB1. Uh, you know, if Bo Nix goes out and throws, like, three 50-yard bombs into tight windows or something, then, like, sure, that that's, that's looking really good for him. So if there's obvious stuff that pops out, I mean, that's quite clearly, like, the biggest takeaways from the game. Um, but, again, it's about having fun, like you said. I mean, it's about going to Autzen Stadium if you're able to attend. It's about, like, for a lot of seniors like me, it's the last chance to tailgate. It's the last chance to, like, crack some beers with your friends and then walk over to Autzen, do the whole thing. Um, yeah, wow. As, as a student, at least. I know, it's kind of crazy to think about. Um, especially since, you know, people in our class lost effectively a, an entire, not effectively, lost, like, an entire season of that or two um, to COVID. But, uh, yeah, man, <laughs> I'm just excited to have fun. I'm excited to be in Autzen. I'm excited to see the Ducks play some football. 
and I'm excited to see people not get injured, knock on wood, because as we know, Reed, that is always the most important thing that can or can't happen in the spring game, is injuries. Um, so as long as there's none of those, I'm really not that concerned. But maybe position-wise, there are a couple things that we'll be keeping eyes on. Quarterback, obviously, I already mentioned, like, who plays well is more important than who plays with who when it comes yep. to spring game stuff, and especially with quarterback. Uh, running back, I'm curious to see Sean Dollars versus uh, Noah Whittington, how each of those guys play. I think it's safe to assume Byron Cardwell is going to be running back one, but that second spot is definitely up for grabs in my mind. We've heard good things about Sean Dollars so far, but Whittington's look decent. And then obviously Jordan James won't be at the spring game. He's not enrolled yet, but he's one of the 11 guys that will be added uh, during fall. Um, and then also defensive back is just another position group I highlighted that I'm curious to look at. Uh, Christian Gonzalez and Dante Manning were both banged up. Uh, either in, they were in the limited group from Tuesday's practice. We'll see how they do tomorrow morning. Uh, we, if you're listening to this, you might already know how they're doing by then. But both were listed on the rosters. Uh, oh, it looks like both are actually on my team, the green team. So we'll see how they do, or we'll see who replaces them uh in in certain spots yeah, so, yeah it seems like it seems like you've got i mean if we want to just go into dbs right now green versus yellow it seems like you've got over on the green team a bit of the starting cornerbacks and i've got the starting safeties i've it got addison and bridges like over on yellow and I, I i'm okay with dickerson and barkins flashing as those look like my young starting cornerbacks over here I'm a fan. Yeah, that's not think, bad. And I got Bennett Williams, who honestly, that's my, I mean, we'll see that nickel competition is going to be interesting between Bennett Williams and Jamal Hill mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. the potential for one of those to kind of defect to safety if they get beat out by the other one and, and potentially compete for a role there come fall camp. Um, mm -hmm. We'll see how that shakes out. But I'm a big Bennett Williams fan. He's, he's always a guy who just seems like the ball and big plays gravitate towards him. Uh, and he's never shy to make a tackle at the line of scrimmage either, which I like. Um, I'm liking my DB room a lot, especially uh, if uh, Gonzalez uh, or Manning is held out, which, of course, I'm not rooting for. But uh, <laughs> for the yellow team's sake, it would help. Yeah, I, I have a lot of corners, actually, it looks like. Um... I'm also curious to see where Jonathan Flo factors in. Obviously, he was mm -hmm. kind of brought in as a linebacker. He's on the green team. Uh, he was brought in as a linebacker when he first committed to Oregon, but he's since moved to DB. That's the only roster designation they've given him, so I don't know if that means he'll be like a backup safety or a backup corner or what. Maybe a backup nickel. Who knows? Um, but that'll be interesting to see. Another thing we I haven't mentioned yet is this is a great opportunity for, like, this won't concern a ton of people, but a lot of people know people that are walk-ons. Like, especially if you're from Oregon, you might, like, have a right. guy from your high school that's a walk-on. You might just know somebody, and chances are they're a walk-on because not everybody knows, like, the best scholarship players on a D1 <laughs> team all the time. Yeah. Um, and a lot of them come from all over the country. But So it's also a nice chance to see some local guys – um but yeah 
let me look through here. Are there first of all, are there any other position groups you want to call out? I know I mentioned QB, running back, and DB, but well, we can kind of go through. Let's just go through green versus yellow team of what we have at least. We can move on to wide receiver if you want, and and look at who's going to be matched up across from these DBs and see if we can decide on an advantage in the passing game. Yeah, you let's do, do that. It. I really like my wide receiver room. I mean, yours is pretty stacked as well, but. Uh... I got you Troy, go ahead and go through Chris yours. Hudson, Chase Coda. Yeah, Troy Franklin, Chris Hudson, Chase Coda, and Josh Delgado look to be my top like four. And then there's uh, three other walk-on names in there. Let's see. So that would that'll be like Troy Franklin against like Dickerson, and then like Chase Coda against Barkins or vice versa, and or or Hudson. Maybe that'll be yeah. interesting to see who plays alongside Franklin uh in the passing game or who they have on franklin because that that might be a more of a um cap tipper than anything else uh would be like who matches up on who right because no matter whether you're playing with the quote-unquote first team or second team which as i said probably won't exist you know if they have say like barkins on franklin instead of uh instead of like dickerson Dickerson on franklin that might mean a little bit more you know um yeah or if one just plays better against him yeah it'll definitely be interesting to see i think that you have a pretty polished wide receiver group in terms of those four um but i'm i am excited about the big play potential of dante thornton and seven mcgee on my side Mm -hmm. i'm i've been a big dante thornton proponent since his recruiting days um (laughs) I love that he came all the way out from Baltimore and was had Oregon as a dream school. That's just always cool to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and then everyone loves Seven McGee. And he's had a really impressive spring from all accounts. He's been mm-hmm. running with the ones at times, uh, at least flirting with that group. And I think that that's pretty impressive for a guy who's, you know, was slotted as, as a running back for a while. Um, but it speaks to just his ability as a playmaker. So, I mean, I think McGee is always going to be a guy who, especially in a spring game setting, uh, has the potential to make a big play. And then Thornton has added a lot of weight this offseason, a lot of muscle, mm-hmm. um, in a good way. <laughs> Not in a bad way. Yeah, in a good way. <laughs> I was going to um, say, I've had a lot of weight this offseason, too. <laughs> <laughs> um, and he's, been a, he's stepped into a big leadership role uh, in the wide receiver room. I'm super high on Thornton. It feels like everything seems like it's coming together there. Um, so those two, I mean, that's really a big part of the reason I said yellow team is Thornton and, Thornton and McGee are two of the guys I'm most excited to see play this season in general and then this spring game. Um, and for me, I've got those paired with Isaiah Crocker and Isaiah Brevard are probably the other two that are going to see the most work. Um, and Justice Lowe, you'll probably see a bit of the in-state freshman, but I think uh, it'll be interesting to see what we see from Brevard uh, and Crocker as well, because Crocker has been a guy who stepped up a little bit on the end of last season. He was highly rated. Some people gave up on him, I think, as he fell through the cracks of the depth chart, and I think that probably this staff change for him uh, has been kind of a welcome change of pace and given a new opportunity to uh, kind of impress a new staff and see where he fits in with that group. And I think that there's a great chance that 
he could see some meaningful snaps this season. So uh, Crocker, I'm excited about, and, and Brevard, I still, you know, everyone talks about Troy Franklin and Dante Thornton, uh, and I think rightfully so, but I'm certainly not giving up on Brevard to be a, a big contributor at Oregon, um, down the road at least, and who knows, potentially this season if he puts some stuff together. Yeah, I, I agree. Those three guys in low Crocker and Brevard, we just haven't seen a ton of, and I'm super excited to see what they bring to the table. And then Thornton's like, like you said, he's the obvious name where I won't be surprised if Thornton makes a big play, but I'll be, you know, slightly more surprised if somebody like Lowe or Crocker does. So also Crocker's been like doing the uh, cryptic inspirational tweet thing all off season. So I'm, I'm really <laughs> excited to see if that plays out on the field. Uh let me think. You want to move on to some D line? Yeah, yeah. Let's do D line. All right. Let's see here. I have Louis Cresto, Brandon Dorless. Let's go. I got Brandon Dorless. I think um, he's out though. I think he's out. That's yeah, the only we'll reason see. I didn't pick him. We'll see. We'll see. Uh, I have Suave, aka Suave Apoti. I'm gonna start calling him Suave because that's what Taki Taimani called him in an interview. Okay. Um, I have Good Jackson Powers Johnson, who finally. He'll, Funnily, is that a word? Funnily enough, has been listed as a D lineman and an O lineman on the green team. Um, so I guess we'll see where he takes more reps. Jake I mean, Shipley, I would, what? He's, he's the type of guy who would line up on both sides if they'll <laughs> let him, I think. Um, yeah, exactly. And play pretty well on both sides, as we saw in the Alamo Bowl. So I, yeah, that is certainly, if there's one guy that I'm sad to miss out on well there's i mean <laughs> i like so many of these players but jpj is certainly high on my list of of guys i would steal potentially if we're doing like uh one of those type of things where i get to steal a player from your team if if y'all team wins <laughs> jpj is in the conversation for sure for that pick i actually walked by him today on campus that's funny yeah. not to be creepy or anything but uh, <laughs> <laughs> and then, uh it's so funny because like i i don't even really think about that a lot of the time you know it's whatever uh and then jake shipley who's like an oregon spring ball legend uh he's one he's like for me he epitomizes the uh he's the guy you see in in a spring game because this happened in the last spring game he's the guy you see in the spring game who you're like oh damn who's that guy like i don't remember us having like a number 90 um and he's oh he's playing pretty well actually and then the season comes and you like never see him on the field, but um, so I guess it's good that yeah, I at least him. in the past, hopefully it hopefully yeah those guys get rotated in. I mean, when he was young, especially, I think it was that way though for sure. Also, I mean, we can't say this enough when you when you have one guy at D line who is going to be on the field for as many snaps as possible, Kayvon Thibodeau, uh, it it doesn't help for other guys' reps, although it might help your team sometimes. Uh, and then to round it out, I have Keanu Williams, who was singled out by Taimani as being like um, an ex- exceptionally good in spring practice. And he was a highly rated guy who we haven't seen a lot of yet. So I'm excited to see him. But it looks like you've got some talent along there, too. Yeah, I, I kind of, especially if if Dorless is out, I'm liking my defensive line a lot. Uh, yeah, I think you might have I think... the upper hand there. Yeah. I mean, the, the three-headed monster of Popo, Taki, and Keon Ware-Hudson is, is pretty tough to beat up front, I think. Uh, I, I'm really – I mean, Popo and all those guys, it feels like just 
getting a bonus year of, of Pac-12 vets on the defensive line, uh, especially with Popo and, and Taki. Um, and Keon is getting to that level very quickly. Um, but, you know, those guys, Popo and Taki, feel like a plus one, whereas Keon feels like, you know, he's, he's that upperclassman who should be taking the reins, but you still look and you have those other two that are so talented and have so much experience to go right next to him. And, and that's what excites me so much about um, this team really is, I mean, you know, going back to, to the spiel I did kind of before we went into these rosters, the defensive line is a group for me where I just look at those three guys and, yeah, I know there's some questions about the pass rush and we'll see how that gets worked out. I have a little more confidence in it just because of Landing's background at Georgia last year. Um, but in terms of controlling games, I mean, you talk about like, you know, eating up blocks stopping teams from running the ball that's you know a big part of winning football games uh as important as the pass is becoming it makes an outsized difference in the pac-12 as well exactly exactly uh and you have a bigger advantage too uh not only do teams like to run the ball in this conference it feels like but uh they also sometimes have more times than not a little smaller offensive lines to go up against you uh and so i just expect Popo and Taki and Keon to eat all season as well as Brandon Dorless. I mean, obviously I don't need to go off on that <laughs> tangent again. Um, I like my defensive line a lot. Uh, and then, you know, Mikhail Afaise, Trevin May, those guys who are going to get rotation as well, who are in there, who uh, I think we could see something from this season and, and I'm excited to see what they bring and how they look after this, this full spring. Uh, in the similar vein to Brandon Dorless, Popo was limited in the last practice we saw. So we'll see tomorrow morning where he's at. But uh, don't be surprised if you don't see Popo playing in the spring game. Um, Keon Ware Hudson as well. Same thing. Uh, so I hate to rain on your parade a little bit, but we'll see. <laughs> I don't know. I, I think Dorless yeah, is true. a little farther back than the other two guys um, in terms of his injury. But regardless, I mean, it's. As we always say with injuries, like, we'll see. Yeah, yeah. No, I think you are right there. Um, all right, you want to go to O-line? I can start there if you want. Go ahead. Yeah, so I'm liking, I mean, I'm liking the yellow team a lot, I got to say. I'm feeling good. Obviously, seeing where the quarterbacks and running backs fall and the linebackers, we don't know yet. Um, I think no, getting Noah Sewell would have a big impact on which team I picked. <laughs> Um, cause he's pretty good. If you didn't watch the last two years, <laughs> if you're just tuning into this podcast for the first time, Noah Sewell, pretty good player for Oregon. <laughs> um, but, uh, my offensive line could potentially neutralize him. TJ Bass, I think probably the best offensive lineman of this group. Uh, it felt like last year he had an interesting interview about moving back to guard, um, and saying that he liked playing left guard more than left tackle, which was interesting given Shocker. how much Cristobal and Mirabal rotated those guys and relied on him to play left tackle last year. Um, seems like a fit to me for Tavon at guard, even though he put in some good effort at tackle. Uh, Forsyth, the vet in there at center, gotta love that. Um, is he is he going to be good to go? Do you know if he's... I think so. Yeah, he hasn't he even is. been. Yeah, yeah. yeah, he hasn't even been limited in recent practices, so he should be a full go. Good. Um, yeah. So Bass and Forsyth and Stephen Jones. I mean, 
that is a really solid what probably projects as the starting you know center and left side of this offensive line uh and then we'll see who else steps in there uh Fiope, uh if he's in there that would be you know nice to see i'd be really interested in that for sure um and then we have the younger jeremillo i mean could see him get some work uh it'll be interesting to see you know I, i'm a little surprised that they split up even these offensive line groups i mean that, that kind of is the clearest place to look to say okay we're not doing a first and second team here because pretty much everyone knows the first team offensive mm -hmm. line mm -hmm. uh and they divided those up you know so but but i like the starting three you know i get three of the five starters and uh i'm interested to see what some of those other guys can do as well on your team michael wooten i think it was michael wooten had a pretty uh crazy inspiring um like he was part of the hype video the promo video that the team put out uh, and he seemed like he was pretty fired up so who knows maybe that'll play a factor into it um <laughs> oh sorry uh on my team i have sala dawson jeremillo bram walden jackson powers johnson and ryan walk are probably going to be the starters um interested to see where pretty much all those guys play i mean we know sala's a tackle but like you said with the crystal ball, we know Saul is a tackle. We know Ryan Walk is typically a guard, but he's, I think Ryan Walk has also been taking Probably. snaps as well at some points. So maybe he'll be a center. Uh, yeah. But again, that this is like, this nitty gritty stuff is what the nerds like us really love. So we'll see how, how those lineups shake out. And again, I'm, I'm really curious to see how JPJ splits his time between offense and defense. Um, I'm going to go ahead and guess he spends a little, a few more snaps on defense just because of the injuries on the defensive line. But, yeah. Well, uh, what, what did you say? You said Sala, Jeremillo as, as the tackles, probably walk a center. That would be my best and, guess. Yeah. And then Walden and, um, Walden and JPJ. I think Marcus Harper is a guy who, who easily could, could start if JPJ was going to at a guard spot if jpj was playing more defense uh as well for you so yeah yeah, yeah. in some ways you might have a more i mean i think you, you probably have a more complete offensive line than my side but the top end talent yeah. uh with bass and forsyth and and even jones we'll see how he's developing but certainly has a lot of athletic potential solid deserves to be in that conference as just walk i mean the starting five for oregon on the offensive line is really good and experience crazy and, how and, many how many years in a row we've been able to say that too yeah i mean the covid year kind of people forget was certainly a bit of a question mark but i think uh rightfully so. they, those guys had been in the yeah but i mean even those guys had been in the program for so long most of them and quickly you know the past two years have flown by and now we're uh set up to have another veteran offensive line group leading this team up front with a lot of you know, the the offensive line group, I just am really excited by. I mean, I think that, that having those five, but then, like, you know, if if Jackson Powers Johnson needs to step in on the interior, like, man, you're excited for that. And who knows, maybe yeah. you won't even be able to hold him off the field if he converts to offensive line full-time because he looked so good at both spots last year, um, mm -hmm. you know, for the most part. Uh, and you know, Connerly's going to arrive a little late, obviously, but I mean, uh, 
with how much talent he has, certainly, you know, who knows how that's going to go. You, you don't want to put too much expect, expectations on an offensive lineman uh, as a freshman, but, I mean, we've seen it before in recent history at Oregon, and a freshman taking snaps and being, you know, a very valuable part of the offensive line. And Connor really fits the pedigree, at least, of that, so... Um, I think there's, and and then Jaramillo is like a sixth starter as well as a tackle, you know, like really comfortable having him step in with not much drop off. Uh, So not only is there a really good five, but I think there's at least three to four guys who you feel very good about stepping in and, uh, you know, taking some time if, if need be up there. So I'm excited about that. And, And offensive line is like such an important spot. If you get a hole there, it can be you know a critical hit to the team but having that much insurance uh and talent and experience on this team is part of what makes me feel good about this team having a good season Mm-hmm. definitely uh and again i mean it's okay to draw conclusions from the spring game like that that might play out during the season uh just don't have your just don't make those observations don't make those conclusions into like set in stone uh word of god type conclusions maybe just like uh leans if you will uh another thing to keep an eye on or maybe not to keep an eye on just some some business here noah sewell missed the last practice with an illness we'll see if he's back tomorrow you probably you'll probably know whether or not he was there by the time you listen to this podcast uh, Christian Williams hasn't been in any of the spring practices. We don't know what the deal is with him, so that's something to keep an eye on. We probably won't get the answer during the spring game, but just to be clear, like he is not with the team right now. Um, and then Dante Manning, I mean, we mentioned this on the last pod, but if in case you missed it, he was in a wheelchair, I think, two weeks ago now after a Saturday practice. Um but he was back in practice just with a brace on so and was like doing workouts and stuff. He just wasn't going full speed, obviously. Um, so it'll be very interesting to see whether or not he plays. That could be very important. Yeah, but I mean, even such, it's just, you know, when you see some guy in a, a wheelchair at first, your mind goes to, of course, with like how many lingering injuries Oregon had yeah. last season. Is this guy going to be out going into the season and – if he's out going into the season, could that potentially stretch into October and then November? And then it's, oh, maybe he'll be back for the bowl game. And then he's not back till spring practice next year or something. And it looks like that injury, at least, is is not as serious as, as we feared just from seeing that wheelchair yeah. and that, you know, progressing very likely towards playing next season uh, from the start, you know, as long as there's no setbacks, fingers crossed. Uh, and potentially, I mean, who knows? All this injury stuff is shadowed in secrecy usually. But um, <laughs> And by the way, on that note, I think we're going to get even less uh, information about injuries from Dan Lanning than we did with Cristobal. So yeah. just keep that in mind, I guess. It's not a good or a bad thing. I mean, I guess it's kind of a bad thing if you're in media like us and we have to talk about these things but um it's it's irritating but it is like like there's a good reason that they do it it makes sense yeah um all right man well let's let's kind of wrap this up we got a little we got a little 
couple more notes on here. Like overall, what makes a successful spring game? We already talked about no injuries. That's always the biggest thing, right? No injuries. Uh, but what else? Yeah, I think, I mean, of course, recruiting is right there. We've hyped it up for a while. This is a signature recruiting event for Oregon. Spring game and Saturday Night Live in the summer, if this if that happens under the staff as well, which I don't know for sure whether it will, but based on its success in the past, you'd think they'd at least look into some sort of summer event like that. Uh, but the spring game's big, uh, and Oregon hasn't been able to take full advantage of it from a recruiting perspective in two years, really. Um yeah, last yeah last year the spring the visit restriction was lifted in June, so I don't think anyone could make it to the spring game last year. Uh, and the year before that, of course, there was no spring game. Um, mm. So this is a you know it's cool to have this event back again, and from a recruiting perspective, uh, it's a big deal. Uh, I think that. You know, recruiting commonly over the past two years, we've seen a trend with the last staff, and it seems similar with this staff, that there's probably going to be a little bit of a lull in uh, March and April and, you know, getting things settled um, after the last cycle finishes and, and starting to get some visits. And I think that end of May, June, July, uh, before we, you know, fall practice starts again in August is when you have this hot period of recruiting that's going to be really exciting to see. Uh, and the spring games, what's what kicks that off. So there's a lot of big visitors on campus. You can look on scoop duck, of course, to track, track some of the minutia of those things. But in general, I would just say a lot of positive energy around Oregon recruiting right now. Uh, and this is a big event that kind of, even if things don't materialize with commitments this weekend, I think that we're going to see, results in the form of commitments pay off soon probably at least in the month of may a few uh, i think you could easily see you know two to three commitments on the low end uh, by the end of may and potentially you know upwards to five or six depending how things go depending how these recruitments progress and so on but um, certainly an exciting time in that regard and, and in terms of like hardcore results from this type of event recruiting is the next big one i think of yeah definitely and scoop duck has or will have I, I think they already have it a full list of uh visitors i think dominic peterson's putting that together shout out to him by the way he's well, been absolutely grinding um indeed he has yes definitely dude, shout out to him and he's putting out like yeah, an article a day for sure. <laughs> like sometimes multiple um so that's yeah and crazy. i think yeah there's the we there's one up, but I think, um, you know, it's always being updated, right? So, so keep, keep checking in and, you know, with the post-visit recaps and interviews and all that stuff, that's the place to be, of course. Definitely, yeah. Um, the other things, there's a concert after the spring game, which I can't ever remember seeing that before at any spring game. Do you know anything about the artist? I can't even remember who it is. I saw something. Uh, like oh, man. I it was some it band was I never too. heard of before. I don't really listen to that kind of music anyways. But uh, it, I don't know. It yeah. should be fun. Hopefully, it'll make people stick around for the end of the game. I think that's the It goal. seemed cool in theory, uh, but I didn't really wasn't particularly excited <laughs> for the artist. I don't know. Hopefully, we're not offending anyone who was. I saw there's a race with Darren Barkins at halftime, maybe. Oh, what? Uh, <laughs> 
Yeah, five fans get to race Darren Barkin's 40-yard dash, <laughs> and they have a 10-yard head start. <laughs> that, that'll be interesting, actually. That, that sounds pretty fun. Again, th- yeah. this is all about fun. Like, you don't get to do this kind of stuff during serious games during the season. So, um... Also, also uh, definitely we're saying a lot of alumni coming back. Jeff yeah. Mail coming back, Lavoisier Tune. Um, Alex Molden was Efo's back, Efo, Ed yeah. Dixon, uh, who else we got? Yeah, a bunch of people. Yeah, Alex Molden, Walter Thurman. That's I mean, awesome. that's that's awesome. That's what it's about, right? And especially for a new staff to come in and recognize that and try to make those connections is. And we haven't even an mentioned awesome the. Thing. We haven't even mentioned the honorary coaches as well. We got uh, what is it? DeAnthony, LaMichael, Eric Armstead, and Haloti Nada. Are those the four? Do you know? Do you know which of us got which ones? Are they actually assigned to the yellow yeah, and they green are. team? They are. I can't remember who's on. Oh which team, man, but... that would have been big in my decision making. Yeah, process. actually, same. Try to pull up that list if you can. I heard you typing. Um, the other thing, I mean, while you're while you're doing that, I'll hit on this point. As you said, it's a showcase for recruits, not not just the game itself and the talent that's on the field, but. It's a chance for them to visit all the facilities, visit Eugene as a whole, kind of catch the vibe of campus and around Autzen. Um, But also just seeing how the new staff kind of handles game day attitudes. Um, the You know, in the past, Oregon staffs haven't always been the most, like, accommodating, I guess, uh, from, a fan, from a fan and media perspective. I'm, I'm looking at you especially, Chip Kelly. Um, so we'll see just kind of how they handle things. It's the little things that you notice during spring days. It's the little things you notice during game days um, that I'm excited to see. Uh, you know, are there new, like, highlight packages for the big board? Are there, you know, for a lot of families, this is something I actually meant to mention earlier, and I didn't. For a lot of families, like, and this this was me sometimes growing up, like, this is your chance to go to Autzen Stadium because it's free or you only need, like, some canned food or whatever to get in. Um like we couldn't always make the trip down to Eugene or tickets were so expensive or all this other stuff. Like we, uh, you know, growing up, a lot of times this was my chance to get into Autzen stadium for the year. So for a lot of people, I know that might be the same way. And that's awesome that the spring game provides that sort of opportunity. We'll see how packed it is. I mean, people always say pack Autzen and stuff, but I mean, nobody's spring game is actually at capacity. So We'll see, like, do we get to 50%, maybe above that, hopefully. I don't know. We'll see. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm just excited to be inside Autzen Stadium again and enjoy what should be a nice sunny day. Yeah, exactly. I did find the captains. It looks like I've got Haloti and DeAnthony, and you got uh, Armstead and LaMike. I mean, that's pretty balanced. I'm happy with that. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's it's tough for me to really say anything to discourage any any former ducks, let alone uh, these four. But yeah, also I, I mean, saw Armstead love DeAnthony. Be, I'll take DeAnthony. Yeah, I I saw Armstead will be doing like a meet and greet in the duck store beforehand, so go check that out if you're interested and get an autograph and picture or whatever. Um, again, man, this is like I know this is kind of like childish stuff, but I mean. Literally speaking, childish stuff is important for building a program and building a brand. Uh, it's part of the reason why both of us are on this podcast and why we're both fans. So, you know, get them no, done. No, your kids. 
No doubt. I think that Oregon definitely won the war with children in the early 2000s <laughs> with the colors. And like, I, I definitely think that is a part of it in the offense. Like that is part of the brand is a lot of these recruits are like the kids who were 10 when Oregon made a national title game for the first time. And like yeah. Oregon was killing it with that demographic and it's helped the program since then. Yeah. <laughs> That was just I mean, phrasing. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> you're definitely right though. I mean this stuff is important. Um and all the little things are like what make college football special. I, I thought about this recently, like college football I mean the reason it's popular is not because of the quality of play. Uh it's not because it's always the most entertaining thing to watch. I mean, games are like three and a half hours long and it's like difficult. It's physically taxing to go to a game uh, and <laughs> monetarily taxing as well. Um, but it's the traditions. It's it, simply like, it's that basic. Um, but it's a super important thing for a lot of people and for good reason that, you know, it includes us. It's okay to recognize that and still be a part of it, so. All right, man. You got anything else to say before we get out of here? Uh, I think we're good, right? I mean, I would just say don't take this thing too seriously. Try to enjoy it. Try to have fun. That's what it's for. And for us, you know, having fun for me is about taking notes and <laughs> uh, rewatching these things. That uh, seriously is what's yeah, fun. Yeah. And the QB stream is that's probably going to be the highlight of my month. You know, I, I mean, anytime a new QB stream comes out. So, yeah, uh, definitely have fun with this, whatever that means to you. And hopefully for people in Oregon, get into Autzen and, and be loud and do the atmosphere, do a welcoming to these recruits and to the staff as well to showcase kind of what they're a part of. Um, yeah, just have fun with it, right? I'm certainly jealous mm -hmm. from down here in New Orleans of all the people who get to go to a spring game uh and yeah enjoy it right yep exactly all right with all that being said have a happy spring game everyone check your practice reports and go ducks go ducks <laughs>